This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. You know, there's a lot of talk today about the end times or the last days, and uh, many have opinions on what's going to take place when we die, uh, what's going to take place at the climax of history. But many out there go, you know, why does it matter? Why does it matter to my life now? Why would I need to even care about what is going to happen that far into the future? Well, we believe this is very relevant for your life even today. And so here at Saving Grace, we would like to take the next four or five weeks uh, to really delve into a series that we think is going to be enlightening to you in your day-to-day walk. We'll be talking about the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, a millennial kingdom, and an eternal state. And if you've never heard of any of those things, uh, you'll want to join us over these next few weeks and form your own opinions. Perhaps you're a student of the Word and have an interest in eschatology in times. Uh, I encourage you both to listen because Dr. Anderson has information that will be beneficial to all, regardless of your level of understanding. So please plan to join us. We read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You know, this passage is said to reference the rapture of Christians from the earth. But what does that mean? And when will it happen? And why does it matter? Here to help us with answers to these questions is Dr. Dave Anderson, founder and president of Grace School of Theology and author of numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy and Bewitched, among others. As a prolific writer and author, church planter, Bible and biblical language scholar and professor, and ministry visionary, Dr. Anderson is a man of God whose message and ministry inspires and changes lives, including my own. Dr. Anderson, welcome back to Saving Grace. Well, Carmen, thank you, and Happy New Year to you. And just a word to all our listeners who have been praying for you. Yes. Uh, Such good news to hear that you may be having a bone marrow transplant as early as even next week, and it could be later than that. But uh, uh, the doctors are thinking that's what it's going to take to cure your brand of leukemia. So we praise God for that, and we keep on praying that that will take place sooner than later. Thank you so much. I'm just grateful for the medical advancement over the years that allows Mm -hmm. this sort of uh, surgery to truly, like you say, possibly cure me of my leukemia. So thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate all the prayers. Well, as we talk today about this very important subject, you know, for more than two millennia, the church has talked about looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. But the discussion seems to get complicated when we confuse Christ coming for his saints 
and Christ coming with his saints. Uh, let's talk, if we could, uh, about clarifying the meaning of Christ coming for his saints. Well, that's usually a reference to the rapture. Uh, if you are a pre-tribulationist, then you think the rapture takes place pre before the tribulation. So the second coming, when he comes with his saints, is quite a bit different, meaning uh, he's actually coming down to planet Earth, and he's going to come uh, with a volunteer army, according to Psalm 110, verse 3. Uh, and of course, that's when he ravages his enemies, and uh, he puts Satan in a pit for a thousand years, and you know, mm -hmm. we could go through a lot of differences, but uh, yes. one is when he comes and catches his church saints up in the air. He doesn't touch down to the earth, as in Zechariah 14, he'll touch down uh, on the second coming. And, uh, you know, that's some of the main difference. Yes, it, it's really fascinating to study and to see all the different references. And it's so helpful to have you here today to really help us to kind of separate uh, uh, these two events. But, you know, the word rapture doesn't appear in Scripture. And the prophecy of Christ's gathering of his saints in the air isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. Where do we first find indication of God's plan to really come for his saints? Well, if you're talking about the church, you're not going to see that in the Old yes. Testament. Uh, he does come back, you know, and the Old Testament saints are raised at the end of the tribulation period, according to Daniel 12, 2. But as far as the uh, New Testament saints, or especially the church, which we think began at Pentecost, uh, you've got some hint of it in James, because he says, the Lord is nigh. Mm -hmm. So you, ha you always had this um, understanding of the what they call the imminent return of Christ, meaning he could come at any moment. Yes. So that's a little hint, but it's it's better, you know, laid out in the passage you read, 1 Thessalonians 4. And by the way, rapture is an English word, but it does come from a Greek word that means to catch up. Okay. Caught up in the air. Uh, and actually, uh, the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, uh, that Jerome and his followers translated, says raptizo. Mm. So that's where, that's the Latin word for the Greek that's behind all that in First Thess 4. And it means caught up. Uh -huh. It's kind of interesting when you think about, you know, in our today's language, we don't talk about people being caught up in the air unless they're <laughs> no. an airplane, right? right. Uh, and I'm just so thankful that we have record, historical record of the of, of Christ ascending into the heavens because that gives us confidence that, yes, this can happen. This is not something, even though it's out of the ordinary for our day-to-day -day lives, we have historical record that, indeed, Christ uh, uh, ascended into right. the clouds. Uh, scripture speaks of seven years of tribulation on earth. When the Antichrist will arise, he'll dominate world power, ultimately demand the worship of all who are still living. God's wrath, we learn, will be poured out on the earth and mankind, on mankind as they've never seen before. Do we anticipate the rapture of the church coming before this terrible time? Well, yes. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, God is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. Christ is. Uh, and also in chapter 5, uh, verse 9 says, we're not appointed uh, for wrath. And the context in fact, chapter 5 is one of the tribulation uh, that he's talking about, the wrath of God. 
Uh, wrath is an interesting word in Scripture. It's, uh, a lot of people like to tie that to eternity. Mm -hmm. But you can't find that example if you're using the word orge, which is the translation of wrath. It always seemed to be tied to time. Uh, Romans uses it more than any other book, but the book that uses it the second amount of times is Revelation. Uh, but it's only in chapters 6 through 19. That is the tribulation period. If it were eternal, you'd hear about it in chapter 20 or 21 or 22. But it's never mentioned there. So it's God's outpouring of his anger against man's sin in time. And in a Revelation 6, last verse, it says, this is the great day of his wrath. Mm. Now, what evidence do we find in Scripture that would indicate that the body of Christ would not experience that time of wrath? Well, there, there are quite a few things. Okay. Uh, one is that uh, chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation are an interlude in heaven of what we call theodicy. That's a big, long word, but... Theo, God, and mm -hmm. uh, it's a defense of God's ways with men. So in chapter 4, he's saying what he's about to unleash on the earth, this seven years of tribulation, is right because uh, he created us. Yes. We belong to him by virtue of creation, and he can do what he wants with those whom he's created. And then chapter 5 says it's, it's right for God to do this because we belong to him by virtue of redemption. In other words, he made a way out. Mm -hmm. uh, so we not only avoid that seven-year period, but avoid uh, eternal separation yes, from yes. him. And, of course, that's redemption. Uh, so uh, he created us. We belong to him because of that. Uh, he redeemed us for those who have believed in him, uh, in Christ. We belong to him because of that. Now, it's interesting, in Revelation 4 and 5, you have 24 elders and these elders are all robed with white. And they have victor's crowns on their heads. Now, we know these aren't uh, Old Testament saints because they're not raised until the end of the tribulation period. Okay. Uh -huh. All right, so they must be New Testament saints. And it looks like they've already been uh, to the judgment seat of Christ because they already have rewards, the crowns. And they talk about casting these crowns at his feet mm -hmm. because rewards aren't a selfish thing at all. It's a measure of how much glory we will bring to our Savior forever mm. and ever and ever. And then in chapter 5, it talks about a new song that the uh, elders are going to sing. And let me just read that to you because there's only one word in here you need to hear to know that the rapture takes place before the tribulation period. So in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Which are the prayers of the saints? Verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Us. Interesting. All he needs that one word. Yes. That means these 24 elders are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Right? I have never noticed mm -hmm. that before. Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, in the textual criticism that we do, 98% uh, or more of the evidence, actually more than that, is for the word us. Okay? So some people have them in their text. There's virtually no... Uh, 
evidence for that in, in the textual manuscripts, in the manuscripts we have. So uh, another thing, this is what they That's call an argument from silence, but I think it's a pretty uh, loud argument from silence. Uh, we know he knows the word for church. How do we know that? Well. Chapter 2 and 3. Yeah. The church at Laodicea, the church yes. at Ephesus, all these. The seven church, right. yeah. All of a sudden, the word disappears. It's nowhere found in chapter 6 through 19. Mm. And that is the tribulation period. Yes, yes. So if indeed these 24 elders are representative of the church, they have been taken up, resurrected, as the case may be, or raptured, rewarded, uh, then you wouldn't. That's right. Have, you wouldn't have the word church in verse 6 through 19. Exactly. The, the other uh, things I've already mentioned in First Thessalonians, the word wrath is uh, part of this, uh, uh, how he often portrays the seven-year period. And we were not appointed for wrath. Mm -hmm. And also he is, del you know, the way that puts it there, it's a present tense, but uh, Greek Americans like to call it a proleptic present, meaning... It's talking about the future. Mm -hmm. He will mm -hmm. deliver us, but it doesn't say that. It says, in English, he is delivering us, but it's done for emphasis. It's kind of like a done deal. Mm -hmm. His deliverance of us from the wrath to come is so certain, I'll just say it's happening now. So that's a little complicated, but it's, it's pretty emphatic in the Greek. So uh, those are a few reasons. It's so encouraging. It is so encouraging. Now, you know, we sort of touched on this because there are going to be some who would ask, well, why should Christians be spared? You know, I mean, you, we still displease the Lord. We, you know, we certainly are not perfect this side of heaven. Uh, don't we deserve that time period of wrath? But is it just the grace of God? Well, no, it's, it's, it's something that involves the church. And uh, to say that we deserve it is, is not quite, um, quite accurate. Uh, well, there will be consequences in this life and the next for our sinfulness. However, uh, Daniel 12 tells us that this tribulation period is specifically for the Jewish people. Now, Gentiles will be affected because there's still more Gentiles living on the earth than there will be Jews when it begins. But uh, this seven-year period is the last of 490 years had 70 yeah. sevenths, mm -hmm. Daniel 9. Mm -hmm. Yes. So 483 years have already passed. Uh, they were finished with the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now there's this long interlude, we don't know how long, until a covenant is signed by uh, a leader of the West uh, to guarantee peace for Israel against her surrounding enemies. That begins the seven-year period, the last seven-year period. But... Uh, the angels told Daniel, this is all for the Jews. He says, 77s are appointed for your people. Well, who are Daniel's people? The Jews. And your holy city. What was Daniel's yes. holy city? Yes. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. So this is not a program for the Gentiles. It's a program for the Jewish people. And it tells you why in Daniel 9. It's to humble them so mm -hmm. they will reach out for Christ as their Savior, the yeah. remnant of Jews. And he says uh, in Matthew 23, I won't come back until you invite me back. You Jews have to invite me back. I'm not coming. And that's why, uh, if Satan is aware of that, and we think he is, uh, he tries to kill all the Jews. Wow. 
So that Christ won't be invited back. Yeah, it's twisted thinking, yes, I know. But, of course. You know, he possesses Hitler. Hitler tries to yes, kill them all. Yes. How strange, you know? Yes, yes. If not demonically or satanically mm-hmm. driven. Well, you get to Revelation chapter 6, and the Antichrist is going to do the same thing. Yes. He's going to try to kill every Jew he can get his hands on. Mm. Wow. Wow. It's fascinating. Like I said, it's all there, it's right there in Scripture. You know, uh, I read from First Thessalonians at the beginning of the program, and it says the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive will meet him in the air. Is this saying that only those who are dead, um, who are part of the church, will rise at that time? What about the Old Testament uh, saints? Well, again, we've said the Old Testament saints are raised at the end of the tribulation, Daniel 12, 2. So this is only the church that is raptured. Daniel 12, 1 talks about a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So right after that is the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Okay. So that's at the end of the trip. Now, this is the church, we know, because of tech talk. There's technical talk here, and the tech talk is in Christ. So you get in Christ by baptism of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says each of us has been baptized into in Christ. Christ. Yes. And yes. then he uses that... Uh, explanation to explain how our sin nature has been deposed in Romans 6, because you were uh, crucified with him, buried with him, raised with him. Mm-hmm. Now you've ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father. Spiritually, we don't understand all that, obviously. How, how can that happen 2,000 years ago when I wasn't even alive right. yet? Right. But uh, that's the, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word tension, that's the contrast uh, between our position and our condition. Mm-hmm. In Christ is always a statement of our position, and that's specifically the church, because the church began at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and baptized those believers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good, very good. You know, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one and 52 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You know, I've seen the first part of that verse. Uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed on a lot of nursery uh, nursery walls. Got to love it. I know, and I always <laughs> chuckle. I always chuckle, yeah. but I have a feeling that... Uh, uh, Paul meant something a little more serious here. Uh, let's talk about the idea of us being, uh, you know, what what does it mean uh, that we'll be changed, and why do we need to be changed? Well, he's talking about uh, mortality putting on immortality, and he's talking about our corruptible mortal bodies uh, receiving something that's incorruptible, and that would be our glorified body. And uh, there's some fascinating words involved in that whole process. Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we will put on our okaterion, is the Greek word. But the okaterion uh, probably enveloped Adam and Eve in their first creation, which is why they weren't aware of their nakedness. And it, it, it was a, some sort of covering that enabled them to uh, have immortality. Uh, even while they're in the flesh. Uh, it says the uh, fallen angels who cohabited with uh, humans mm-hmm. uh, left their okaterion. says that in Jude. So somehow they set that aside, which was a major 
uh, violation. Yeah. And uh, uh, we're able to take on forms that uh, humans uh, could um, live with. You know, there's a lot of speculation in here. Uh, but um, uh, the book of Enoch, which was quoted by more church fathers than any other book outside the canon, has a whole bunch of references to the OK Terion. And it, it talks about, uh, and we don't know that these are true because we don't consider Enoch inspired, but uh, Jude quotes the book of Enoch. So some of these extra canonical books had truth in them that the Holy Spirit pulled out to put in uh, our inspired Bible. Just quotes or references. Uh, so uh, the OK Terion was something very beautiful. It's talked about multicolors, and, uh, and apparently that's what happens when we get our glorified body. But is it, is it for the purpose of being able to cohabit with the Lord? I mean, how... No, it's to give us immortality. To give us immortality. Uh-huh. Okay. The glorified body. Awesome. Yeah, it's... it's and that's it's, exciting. Uh, it uh, really is. I was uh, with a dear friend I'd known for 30 years, and he was dying of cancer, and uh, my wife and I were right there as he passed. I heard his last words, and he was a 180-pound jogger, golfer, tennis player. He was about 90 pounds when mm-hmm. his life yeah. was taken. And as I hovered over him and listened to his last words, all I could think of in my mind mm. was the OK Terion enveloping him. Wow, And yes. uh, restoring his, his emaciated, twisted oh. body into a glorious thing that... Uh, yeah. It's a beautiful picture of what we have to look forward to in oh. our fallen, fallen, uh, this fallen world, and and what we suffer here on Earth in these bodies, in these vessels. Yeah, and, and, wow. and while I'm on this, <laughs> yes. Revelation 19 talks about uh, a robe that we receive, and this is not a robe, the white robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's earlier in the book. These are the righteous deeds of the saints, and it's really a toga. So you had an undergarment. Okay. Uh-huh. And that would be the white robes, and then you get a toga that's made just for you. And the picture I have is the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit begins weaving this toga. Oh. And it's an interactive weaving. It's not all predetermined. As you respond to him, he weaves. And you can stop the weaving. You can abort the process. Yes, and, yes. But if you cooperate with him all the way through, then the judgment seat of Christ, you get uh, Get this, this robe. Toga. In fact, I preached a message on this once called, What Will You Wear to the Wedding? <laughs> and that's the only time I've done that. And I had more responses to that thing. Oh. It was something. But, you know, that ain't in part, Dr. Anderson. It's because it, it's, we hope for heaven, of course, and we have our confidence in Jesus Christ. But there's so many unanswered questions mm. about what it will be like. And so those little glimpses that we yeah. can glean, even if we don't have all of the pieces, those little glimpses are very encouraging. And oh, and, yeah. and uh, it's like, wow, well, I want my road to be, you know, beautifully colored and, and uh, have all the... I, I do have to tell you, I had yeah. far more responses from women than from men. I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet. They wanted to know if they also got shoes with that, right? <laughs> oh, my. Oh, well, okay, so we, we think about the rapture. Wow. When can we expect that to occur, Dr. Anderson? Is there any unfulfilled prophecy yet to be fulfilled? Could happen while we're talking. Are wow. you ready? Come, Lord Jesus. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no prophecy has to be fulfilled. A lot of times people will talk about Second Thessalonians 2 in the temple where 
the Antichrist will come in and set up his image, and so you have to uh, have the rebuilding of the temple. Well, not, not really true. Uh, the only temple we are guaranteed of in Scripture yet to be built is Ezekiel 40 through 48. That's the millennial temple with dimensions far, far different from the old temple. Uh, the Naas they refer to in Second uh, Thess 2 can simply be a place of worship. And actually, uh, the Jewish people have already cut the stones for what's called the great synagogue. Mm -hmm. They can erect those in six months. Wow. So uh, having a place where the Antichrist stops the worship, uh, that's not an issue to be fulfilled before the rapture. Okay. Interesting. Well, knowing what we do about the rapture of the church, how should that knowledge affect believers' lives today? Well, it's living in the light of his imminent return. Now, see, I think Paul lived that way. Every day of his life he thought could be the last one uh, in, in this flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of uh, even the Puritans like to talk about practicing the presence of God. And, of course, I, th I don't think they're referring to the rapture with that, but just the, the focusing on the concept that he could be here any moment. Mm -hmm. Now, Second Peter has a lot to say about that. As a matter of fact, I would say the whole book of Second Peter is about uh, being motivated to purity through prophecy. Because in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, he gives stair steps toward Christian maturity. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and I'm going to help you get there by reminding you of prophetic truth. So he goes into his experience at the Transfiguration, yes. how that affected him. And he says, I want you to focus on these promises until the day star rises in your heart. Hmm. Now, most time people don't connect that with a moral transformation, but that's what it's talking about. Wow. The day star is Jesus. He's the bright yes. morning star. And as you focus on his imminent return and all that goes with that. Right, right. It transforms you. That's what mm -hmm. that book's about. Mm. Uh, and so it, it, rising in your heart means until Jesus himself is the number one priority in your life. Yes. And then as, as you think about Jesus, as I've taught so many other uh, courses and lessons, you become like Jesus. Mm. Your condition will begin to conform to your position. Yes. And, of course, uh, uh, Peter had mockers and even predicted that. In the last days, mockers will come who will mm -hmm. say, where is the promise of his coming? Right. We certainly see that. Of course, yeah. his answer was, you know, God's not slow, or actually the Greek word there just means tardy. He didn't miss the bell, <laughs> <laughs> as some count tardiness. But he's long-suffering toward us, not mm -hmm. willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And by the way, that word for willing, uh, the two words in Greek for the concept of will, One's the lema, which means desire. The other is bulamai, which means a predetermined decision. It's bulamai there. He says God has not predetermined that anyone should perish. Mm -hmm. So that one verse destroys double predestination. Yes. That he predestined some for heaven and predestined some for, for hell. And then, uh, uh, I can't remember how they translate it in the English, but in Greek, uh, the, last, the verb is charizomai. It means he makes room. God's not tardy, as some people count tardiness, but he's long-suffering toward us. And he's made room, charizomai, he's made room for all to come to repentance. And all is a big word. Well, that That's sort hard. of destroys limited atonement. Yes, it yeah. does. Yeah. Yes, it does. 
Well, no doubt there are some listening today who have not yet trusted Jesus, and they're thinking, well, I'm thinking about it. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. Uh, How can those who have not yet believed in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation, how can they share with us the hope that we have uh, for that day? Well, of course, it's as simple as trusting Christ as your Savior. The Philippian jailer said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. It's as that's simple it. as that. Now, there's some content to believing in that. Mm-hmm. And that's to believe He really is uh, the Son of God, and He really did die on the cross to pay for your sins. And you have a sense that uh, you're a sinful person and need forgiveness. Yes. So then, when you bring your sins to the cross, He removes them as a barrier between you and God. Mm-hmm. And actually, I mean, this is getting more theological than you want, but. You're then credited with his perfect life. Mm-hmm. Ching, I didn't say that right. Kaching. Kaching. In, <laughs> in heaven, you have an account, and he credits you with the perfect righteousness of Christ. Theologians call that imputed righteousness. Mm. So he doesn't just take your sins away. He does that. The debit column's gone. Yes. But the credit column's full of his righteousness. Of righteousness, and that's the way he sees us, mm-hmm. and that's why he calls us home. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful picture. Yep. Well, there's a lot of discussion about the second coming of Christ as well. And, and when the when the church uh, saints return with Christ, and we'd love to have you come back next week if you would, and let's get into that topic a little bit deeper, because I'm sure there's a question about, well, we've talked about the rapture. Isn't there just one coming? So I look forward to having you back next week. All right, if All right. the rapture hasn't if, taken place. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Dr. Anderson. Our guest today has been Dr. Dave Anderson, and I hope we've answered some of your questions that you may have had about the rapture of the church. Our prayer is that you will seek to learn more, not only through this podcast, but also through Grace School of Theology. We've set up a couple of ways for you to communicate with us. You can email us your questions or your comments to savinggrace at gsot.edu, and you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. The questions and comments we receive are addressed in future programs, so be sure and send those in today. And also tell others about our podcast. It's a great way to tell your family and friends about God's amazing grace. Thank you for tuning in today, and remember... The love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.